What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you've been rocking a Mystery Ranch Fireline pack, well, your back probably hates you. Yeah, they make arguably the best, the most well-built, and the most comfortable wildland firefighting packs in the game. And they continue to innovate every damn day. Yeah. And how do they do this innovation? Well, back in the day, uh, Dana Gleason, he went down to uh, SoCal, tied in with the shock crew, and they actually helped uh, collaborate, I guess you could say. And that's where the inspiration came from for the uh, hotshot packs. Yeah. So that thing that you're wearing on your back, if you're rocking a uh, mystery ranch pack on the fire line, well, that comes from input from you folks in the field and that could have been done without the help of you folks on the ground. Yeah. So a lot of design elements go into all this stuff and uh, yeah, they keep uh, making new stuff every day. And even, even more than that, they make tons of stuff outside of just fire specific load bearing essentials. They make uh, like this briefcase that I got right here. It's uh, the three-way briefcase and they also make the uh, Assault 21 backpack. Why do I mention these two? Well, because Mystery Ranch draws a little bit of funding out of those sales of those packs, uh, those uh, Assault 21s and the three-way briefcases to fund another thing for you folks in the field. And that is going to be the Backbone series. It is freaking legit. And I love to see the stories that uh, people are writing. And what is it you might ask? Well, it's a storytelling series about the uh, realities on the ground. And if you happen to have a good story and you're selected, well, there's a thousand dollar scholarship up for grabs for you to take to advance your career. So if you want to find out more, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out because they have a bunch of stuff. And why do they keep doing this stuff? Well, it's simple. Mystery Ranch actually gives a shit. Yeah, they give a shit about you guys on the, and girls on the field, in the field. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that's going to be none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But in addition to kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, well, they make a ton of other stuff. What is it, you might ask? Well, if you're not familiar, I suggest you go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out their full line of coffee all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right and a full line of wildland firefighting themed apparel it's pretty awesome and they uh support the anchor point podcast over here by slinging some of our merch so if you're looking for one of those do rad stuff posters or a fire fiend tea or one of the band of brothers tees well they're housing all of that stuff and they do our printing and they ship it out from there and yeah they support us in the whole process so once again go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out the Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you don't know what that is, well, it stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. And it is freaking awesome, at least in my opinion. There's nothing more that I hate than uh, going camping or to my favorite fly fishing spot and uh, seeing a human turd that's gift wrapped in toilet paper just laying right there on the ground for everyone to see it. Yeah, it's disgusting. That shit needs to stop. But if you want to be a part in this action and you want to help correct people's behavior, so to speak, you can spread some propaganda about burying your turds. Yes. By going over to www.thefirewild.com and checking out the ass movement. They've got posters, stickers, shirts, hats, all sorts of stuff to uh, spread the good word about burying your turds. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement where listeners to this podcast can get 10% off their entire purchase site-wide by using the code anchorpointass10. Go check them out.
And last but not least, I'd like to uh, give a quick shout out to our, not necessarily, it's actually not a sponsor, but a cause and a organization that I deeply believe in. And that is going to be none other than the American Wildfire Experience or AWE for short. And you've probably seen them uh, running around on the uh, old Instagram. They uh, also, the, they happen to be also the people that are housing the Smoky Generation uh grant program. Yeah, it's pretty freaking awesome. And some of the projects coming out of that are freaking epic. So if you uh, want to take a trip down memory lane or see some perspectives from uh, peers in your field, well, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. And for those folks that are hungry to get one of those $500 grants from the Smoky Generation, well, your opportunity is going to be coming up here soon. Uh, Staying tuned to the anchor point and the uh, Smoky Generation for more announcements, but those should be uh, announced here pretty soon. And while you're at it, go check out all the uh, Smoky Generation grant recipients. It's pretty freaking awesome. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. Podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well. And I hope that you uh, all have geared up for the wind down, the off season. Yeah. Make sure you're uh, checking in on each other and you have a plan for the off season because that boredom gets pretty gnarly. That and keep uh, texting each other, keep telling each other, keep uh, checking in on each other and uh, make sure everybody's doing well throughout the winter. Yeah. It's uh, approaching the hard part of this uh wildland fire season and uh yeah i know a lot of people are uh, already getting laid off so like i said checking on each other take care of each other with that uh we have an event this weekend we have the hidden valley hammer that's gonna be on uh, saturday october 29th so it is a super gnarly trail run the 10k uh trail run but if uh that's not your flavor and you still want to run well they have a 5k as well that's a lot more mellow if you happen to be in the uh reno nevada area saturday october 29th well come swing by and uh support the cause uh all the uh, proceeds go to benefit the Wildland Firefighter Foundation and there will be an after party at 395 bar and grill over in well sun valley well not sun valley lemon valley that's what it is anyways today on the show we have <laughs> this is going to be a good one. I hope you all are buckled up and you may want to uh, listen to this episode, not on your speakerphone or not through your uh, car radio. Uh, you might want to wear some headphones for this one because it is going to be very NSFW and that is not safe for work. So if anybody is, this is going to be like the disclaimer part of this whole thing. So if anybody is uh, not willing to talk about uh, banging, about doing the nasty, bumping uglies, having sex, you get the idea. Well, you might want to uh, shy away from this episode because it's not necessarily graphic, but if uh, it makes you uncomfortable, this is not the episode for you. So with that being said, we're going to talk about first responders and their love lives. I think this is uh, one of those subjects that a lot of people kind of shy away from and uh, a lot of people in relationships probably 
need to hear. It doesn't hurt to have somebody who specializes this, specializes in this sort of thing on the show. And uh, yeah, kind of improve that love life. And, uh, you know, spice it up in the bedroom if you need to. Uh, yeah, keep things because there's really nothing more intimate than obviously being intimate. So listen up to this because it's only going to improve your sex life. We're going to talk about distance, sexless uh, relationships, timing, distance problems. We're going to talk about uh, mismatched sex drives, pregnancy planning, sexual dysfunction, communication, all this stuff that goes into the sexual component of your relationship. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Destiny Morris. Welcome to The Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, we're going to get a little bit of controversy out of this episode, I have a feeling, and we're going to talk about the uh, doing the dirty, mopping up the stump hole, you know, Bumping uglies. We're going to talk about all the healthy things we can do to, in, I guess, enhance our relationships, uh, both in the bed and with our interpersonal relationships between our loved ones. So I'd like to introduce Destiny Morris. How are you doing tonight? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, you are a associate family and marriage therapist. And this is kind of cool because I'm like super stoked because this is like one of those topics that everybody wants to talk about, but they probably talk about it wrong. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's go from someone who's a subject matter expert. I'm stoked about this episode. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's funny. As soon as I start talking about sex on my Instagram or other platforms, other podcasts, people just crawl out of the bushes and they, <laughs> they want to know about it. They want to listen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, let's not kid ourselves around. We're grown ass adults. I mean, sex is uh, an important part of life in my opinion. And it's also an important part of a uh, relationship. I mean, got to have chemistry there and you got to have chemistry in other places aside from the bedroom. And you're the expert on that one. So like I said, I'm freaking stoked about that, but yeah, I'm stoked too. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. I will. So I have a private practice. Um, I am, like you said, associate marriage and family therapist, and I see all of my clients on Zoom, anybody that's in the state of California. Um, I primarily work with first responders and first responder families or partners. So um, the topic of sex comes up often, if not always in my individual sessions with first responders. And I've noticed that there's this trend of not wanting to talk about it as um, a bigger platform. I don't see a lot of pages, a lot of podcasts talking about what sex looks like in a first responder relationship because there are many challenges. And I think we need to normalize them and we need to talk about them very openly. Like you said, we're all adults here. We should be able to have these conversations. So I have a lot of tips and tricks that I want to share, but I also want to talk about some of the stuff that needs to be normalized that I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. All right. So honest question here for you. Um, do you think there's kind of like a, uh, a fantasy element now? I'm not trying to say that to be chauvinistic or anything like that, but the person in uniform, whether whatever flavor you like, I mean, do you tend to notice more people like kind of drawn to the first responder kind of community as far as a partner? Is that, what is, do you happen to know what the thing is? Like what's the attractiveness behind that? Oh, well, we've sexualized firefighters let's just be real here we have calendars and now the mustache is a thing i see yours but <laughs> yeah it's horrible it's kind of creepy that i'm talking to you about this subject and i have this really creepy mustache but 
I think that the mustache is definitely what draws a lot of women in right now. I've noticed that it's a look, it's a thing. It's in. in, Yeah. And what's interesting, and I could say this from my perspective is I've been in a relationship with a first responder before is that when you get into it, it's exciting. You're like, Oh wow. My boyfriend or my fiance or my husband does this amazing job. Um, you don't actually know what you're getting into. Not a clue. If, no, oh my gosh. If someone would have gone back and been like, Hey, destiny, this is what long summers feel like. And did you know you're going to be home alone for a month at a time? And he's going to come home smelling like butt and fire. <laughs> like, I would have no idea. No one. Yeah. No idea at all. So you're right. It's an attraction. And I don't think that there's a lot of um, thought behind it as far as what that lifestyle looks like. Yeah. Well, also, I think that with the hypersexualization of first responders, uh, whether that be male or female, um, I think that, you know, it also kind of alludes to some preconceived notions uh, about the industry and about like that lifestyle that a lot of people, like you said yourself, have no fucking clue what they're getting into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, Not just men. I, I want to take that back too. Female firefighters are hot shit. I mean, I work with a lot of them and they are just very strong, badass women. And I could see why guys would be attracted to that too. So both sides, you know, right. it's an important job. It's um, attractive to see your partner be doing something that's more risky or um, risking or, or serving other people. There's something attractive about that as well. So it's not just the hypersexualization of it. I think that the nature of the job can be attractive as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> as far as a young person's sport, you know, you get a bunch of single men and women that are in this hypersexualized and uh, very dangerous kind of career. It's in kind of an inevitability that probably two firefighters are going to end up linking up. Oh, so, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen this so much and it's... um really interesting looking at those relationships because they are dealing with this on a magnified level, especially when it comes to sex and intimacy. It's a whole different ball game. Oh yeah. I, yeah. And, uh, my, my, uh, experience with dating a fellow, uh, person in the industry, a fellow firefighter, uh, yeah, I, I 100% can recommend. I don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah. No. Not for me at least. I've seen people yeah. work it out though. I mean, yeah. just, in fact, uh, last week, um, we had, uh, Kalina aligned and Matt lined on the show and they've lasted the test of time, which is really hard. It is good on them. Yeah, yeah. It's not for everybody. It's definitely not. So let's get into it. So what are some things that you're noticing right off the bat when you talk to some of your clients, uh, regarding their, either their relationships or their intimacy issues, or let's just go at it. Let's let you take the lead on that. Cause obviously I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah. Let me lay out kind of like a broad thing and then we can hone in on what we want to talk about specifically. Absolutely. So, um, with people that I'm working with, communication is not happening in a lot of couples, especially first responder couples. And, um, that is the top of everything. That's like the top of the pyramid. Everything trickles down after that. So communication is a big one, but I'm noticing that a lot of um, partners are feeling distant from each other. And that might be because they've had a long summer or they've been on a lot of fires and gone. Um, but even when they come home, they're feeling distant. And I was just thinking about this today that 
we're winding down on like the hectic part of fire season. I know that fire season is not a season anymore, especially where I'm in California. So, um, but now that we're winding down a little bit for the people that are more seasonal, they're going to be home for a good amount of time. And that's a huge adjustment for both partners. And you might still feel that distance with your partner, even when they are home. Um, so that's a big one. I don't know if we want to pause or you want to, you want me to run through points? No, go take it away. Going? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, another one I see a lot is sexless relationships, partners that are not having sex. And to me, that is a red flag because sex is something that we use in relationships to feel close to each other. Oh yeah. It's a form of intimacy. Well, I think there's really nothing more intimate or vulnerable than doing the act, I guess. I mean, that's, that's like the closest you could probably be to somebody. And besides, I guess. <laughs> telling them about your deepest, darkest fears, secrets, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Physically close too. It's just, it's supposed to get to a person. And so when I hear of relationships that are not having that sexual intimacy, that's, that's a red flag. Um, but I, I hear it a lot and there's a lot of factors that come into having a sexless relationship, like timing, um, mismatched sex drives is a big one. Your partner comes home and they want to get it on and you don't. Or vice versa. And, and I think that there is this really, well, I know that there's this really interesting thing that happens when, and it happens both ways. So I see it one way where the first responder will come home from a fire or wherever they've been a shift and they need to decompress. They are not ready to be intimate in that way because they've been super hyper vigilant. They've been around a bunch of dudes. That part of them, that emotional part of them is turned off. So I see that sometimes. Um, and then the partner that's at home is disappointed, feels rejected, wants to know if they're not attracted to them anymore. Maybe there's someone else. They're really bidding for that partner's attention because they've been gone for so long and they want it and they're not getting it. And then I see it the other way around where the first responder comes home. He's been in the wilderness for however many days and he's like, girl, let's go <laughs> or guy, right? And the partner at home is like, I'm really used to being alone. I've been alone for a month. I need to at least have some warm up conversation before we do this. And, and you then, need to take a shower. <laughs> yeah. And take, please take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> so I see it on both ends. It's not just one or the other. Um, it can happen on both. Um, and then pregnancy planning is a big one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you have kids. So, yeah. you know, trying to plan having a baby and, and trying to make sure that you're having sex while she's ovulating and all these different things. It, it doesn't happen like a normal nine to five couple would have the liberty of doing so. Definitely. So there's a lot of stress. Yeah. There. Oh, absolutely. And uh, another thing too, is like, I mean, if you have like a, a very hard and rigid schedule, as far as like timelines for wanting to have children, I mean, there's a significant portion of the year that you have to avoid <laughs> with a wildland firefighting season. Like yeah. you obviously want to be, uh, having that, having your child in the fall or the winter to maximize that time together, especially with the newborn, man, that, that time, that critical time with that first six to eight months. I mean, that's irreplaceable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a big part of that too. And then the last point I have is um, no one's going to like to hear this, but it's real true that there's a high percentage of first responders that struggle with sexual dysfunction, both men and female. Oh, I wonder what causes that. I believe it's caused by hypervigilance. 
So hypervigilance of always being on as far as um, watching your surroundings, you know, what makes first responders good at what they do is the fact that they can be hypervigilant. If you are not able to be hypervigilant, you are probably not a very good first responder. If you are unable to switch off that button that turns off our emotions and turns on our hypervigilance while responding, it can get really dangerous. I think that's where a lot of accidents happen with first responders, whether you're wildland or on the floor, because you have to be able to turn off your own emotional needs and serve somebody else and be able to act fast in any kind of crisis or time of need, an emergency. So when you're super used to doing that, it's really hard to flip that switch back on again. So what I see is, and I see this with nurses as well. I work with all first responders. They come off a really long shift or a hard shift and their partner wants to be intimate with them and they try and they're unable to get their head in the game. <laughs> anybody, <laughs> anybody, Bueller, anybody going to touch that? No, no. <laughs> sure. There's a joke in there somewhere. Sorry. I digress. Both men and female though. I mean, it can happen with, with both where it's just, they're unable to focus on an emotional intimate level because that switch has been off for so long. It, I like to call it like a defrosting period and then a heating back up period when you're going into your shift. And I don't know if you ever feel this, but there's that time when you come home where you're defrosting back into being a husband and a dad and a normal part of society. And then usually the night before your shift, you kind of sit into that rewarming up again, where you're turning that hypervigilance back on. You're able to listen for tones. Um, you probably don't get good night's sleep the night before you go into your shift because you are preparing yourself to be in that mode again. So I see a lot of sexual dysfunction play into that part. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I will say that that hypervigilance, even if you're far removed from fire, like I'm out of fire, I've been out for three years now, but mm -hmm. I still have that, uh, tendency to be hypervigilant, even though, even though I'm very well removed from fire nowadays. Um, but also I think another thing that might contribute to those, uh, sexual dysfunction issues is lack of sleep, a piss poor diet, your lack of recovery the constant stress. I mean, it's kind of like the perfect storm. So yeah, it's crazy. So let, let's expand on that one. I mean, how do all these things kind of, they all have like a, an intricate relationship with each other that this whole list, the distance, the sexless relationships, the timing, the mismatched sex drives, the pregnancy planning. I mean, all of that kind of plays into like a bigger picture here. So we worked our way top to bottom on this lips list. Let's work our way back up and kind of dive into the deeper details. Yeah, let's do that. You know, um, I wish that this stuff would be talked about on like an academy level or when we hire our wildland guys, um, because it's not. And what happens more often than not, and I'm sure some of the listeners can um, attest to this, is you have to learn these things the hard way. There is no manual rule book of how to navigate any of this or know if it's going to affect you or not. And so... I think that's why this is such a hot topic is because people want to know more and they want to, to talk about it in a very open way, in a way that should have been talked about when they first entered the job. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, Even on top of that, I think we have a very prude society. If you want to like get my opinion on it, I think from the get go, we're taught abstinence and all this stuff in like share class. If that's still a thing, even, I mean, this is granted 30 something years ago, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're pre-trained to be a prude so to speak, in a context of talking about sex, right? And sex is a very critical part of your entire life journey, yet we don't talk about it because it's taboo. So I think that's another thing that compounds it. And when you get into this fire service or the, I guess, any first responder kind of context, it becomes amplified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you said, it has to do with, you know, your diet and your sleep and your stress levels. All of that is just as important as your sex life if you are sexually active. So, um, yeah, let's dive into details. So I guess feeling distance, I think is a big one. If I'm going from the top down again, um, I see that so often and I work both with the partners of first responders and the first responders. So I have this unique perspective of both. And then I, like I said, I've had the lived in experience of it as well, but I think that that distance can really, the disconnect that you feel with your partner plays a huge role. I mean, um, I don't know if you've had any personal experience of this too, or if you even feel comfortable sharing, but I think that when you're gone for so long and then you're reconnecting again, it it's, it's a really interesting time. You know, I don't hundred percent, 110%. It's like, you're going 120 miles an hour and then slamming that car into reverse practically. And then you have to like reintegrate yourself into your home life or your relationship and a lot of other things. But if you're in a relationship, it's kind of hard because you just kind of want to word vomit on your partner, like all the things you just experienced on a tour of duty. Right. But typically it's really fucking boring because let's be honest with ourselves. Our jobs is a lot of hurry up and wait. And it's very intermixed with very sporadic periods of I'm going to die moments, but that's the only thing we talk about. I mean, really it's kind of boring, but you kind of got to get it off your chest. And I think that that distance in my experience from my previous relationships that I think that that business distance kind of stems from them tuning out and they're not like understanding you and what you've walked in those shoes that you, those boots that you've walked in for so long. That's where a majority of my distancing has come from. I want to say my personal experience. Yeah. And that's, I hate to say this, um, but that's where the majority of infidelity comes from. Ooh. Yeah. Right, right. Not feeling, not feeling understood not feeling like you have a place to share with your partner or your spouse, what you've seen on your tour of duty and, and what you've walked through, um, or feeling like it's unsafe to do so. Maybe your spouse has told you like, I don't want to hear the details. Don't stress me out anymore. Yeah. Well, they're we're sitting there at home worrying about you. I mean, especially if you're like in a committed relationship, like a marriage, or if you have kids or anything like that, I mean, yeah, it gets, pretty damn boring. And I could understand not wanting to stress about what you experienced on the line. And also, you know, it probably gets a really, really repetitive as well. Yeah. Well, then another thing too, and I'm thinking from the partner perspective, but I think it's good for the first responder to hear this is that I see two sides of the spectrum. I see very, very anxious, the girlfriends and the wives that stock pulse point that stock Twitter, um, the hashtag of the fire that stock the department. And they want to be in the know at all times because it gives them a sense of control. Because as a partner, you're completely out of control. You don't get to choose when you get, you know, called out or toned out at different times on your days off. You're supposed to get your 
two days off of the month and you get called to another fire. You're supposed to come home and you get, you know, diverted to another one in that area. So the partner is the anxious partner is lashing onto any kind of control that they can have. So that comes with them like stalking the fires. It helps them feel more in control. Then there's the other side of the spectrum, which is usually the more seasoned fire wives or first responder wives um, or males, I guess, too. Sorry, I don't mean to sexualize in that way, but um, bear with me. Um, With that, I see them being more removed because they are so used to being disappointed. They have this barrier up that protects them. And so they're not even phased when their partners leave. They're just like, ah, okay. See you when I see you. It's almost easier when their partner's gone for them. Yeah. They're so used to it too. And I think uh, another person out there in the community that does that a very good job of explaining that from the partner's perspective is the Dear Chiefs podcast. Yeah. Yeah, She's wonderful. Yeah. I just recorded with them for the third time this past week. Nice. And actually on the same topic. So there we go. Look at that. (laughs) It must be a hot topic. It is a hot topic and they do a great job at explaining from the partner's perspective. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, to walk a mile in those other shoes or those other fire boots, well, keep in mind that the home unit definitely has a say in these relationships. So don't ever discount them. And I know I made that mistake in my past. Mm. Yeah. It's just a doomed recipe for disaster. If you get into that habit of not communicating and then growing that distance even farther. And also I want to say that it probably creates a lot of insecurities for both sides. I mean, we're talking about the firefighter or the first responder not feeling in a a safe capacity to explain what they experience yet. They got to get that shit off their chests yet. The, the spouse or the partner at home is experiencing the same level of anxiety and insecurity because they don't know when their better half is going to be going off into God knows where for how many days. Right. And I think um, to further on the point of insecurity too, I think that relationally for the first responder who maybe doesn't have cell service or maybe your relationship wasn't very strong as far as trust goes. Maybe there's been infidelity in the fa- in the past, or maybe you don't fully trust your partner. So when you're gone for that many days without being in touch, it can bring up a lot of insecurities, which can get in the way of your job performance. I mean, You know, but if you have that in the back of your head, let's say you get in a big fight with your partner or you're worried that your partner is going to, you know, be talking to some man or seeing somebody else while you're away, that can really get in your head when you're working. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're alone out in the middle of nowhere and have nothing better to think about, which you should be thinking about the fire. But I've seen people come completely apart thinking about that stuff. I have too. Yeah. Yeah, It sucks. And then from the partner's perspective, same thing. My partner isn't reaching out to me. I haven't heard from him in a long time. You know, I sent him a sexy picture and he just gave it a thumbs up. Like, why am I not getting the emotional response that I feel like I need? Because they are bidding for this um, attention and this closeness. But a lot of first responders don't have the capacity to do that when they are in the headspace of working. Oh yeah. The thumbs up when they're sending you something provocative. Yeah. And I've, I've done that. I don't have time to have a long drawn out conversation via text message. And you're lucky that I even have service in this first part, but thanks for the nude, babe. I appreciate it, but I'll try and get back to you later. And I understand that, but you know, caveat to that, I understand the insecurity that stems from that, especially when you don't get the response that you wanted to elicit in the first place. 
Yeah. And then resentment builds. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting about that is I will just say that when I see couples, I see a lot of fire and police couples that will come. Um, They're coming in way too late for therapy, way too late because they are getting to this point where they haven't talked about anything important or significant for eight to 10 years, maybe five years. And they stop and go, they sit in my office and they go, wow, how did we get here? And what's interesting is I can always stem it back to little tiny like bits of resentment earlier on in their marriage or their relationship that they decided to sweep under the rug and not communicate about. Kind of death by a thousand cuts kind of mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, the divorce rate with first responders, I mean, it's, it's very high. Yes. It is very high. And like you're saying, I mean, there's, it's not like it's a, a a big secret, but I mean, if we want to just like really not sweep shit under the rug and kind of address these concerns before they come to a head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a good pivot for a lot of the people out there in the community. Yeah. And that, that comes back to communicating as a, as an umbrella over all of these different points. So feeling distant, communicating about that looks like, I mean, from the first responders perspective, Hey, babe, I really um, miss you when I'm gone. I can't wait to see you. But I just want to let you know that when I'm out there, I have a really hard time being able to, you know, have these these sexual conversations or listen to all the things that are going on about your day. Um, I know it's hard, but I'm just not there. So being able to communicate, if you're, if you're not able to do it, say something. Yeah. Just being transparent and honest, I think is nine tenths of the battle. Yes. And no one, and not no one, but a lot of people don't do that. They're afraid to do that. And same with the partner communicating your needs, right? Yeah. No, you know, I'm feeling really insecure when you're gone. <laughs> yeah, just, I need you to call or text me when you have service. Yeah. Being honest and forthright. And uh, also I think that reading the room is also one of those caveats, like know when to shut the fuck up a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I think too, like when, as a partner, I guess from that perspective, when we call our first responders, um, we are, like you said, wanting their attention, feeling insecure and wanting to tell them about the day and the things the kids are doing and this and that. But when you're in that headspace of working or you're out on a fire and you have a limited amount of time and service and you're surrounded by all your other guys on your crew or girls on your crew, like you're not going to get into this heavy emotional conversation with your spouse. No, definitely not. <laughs> Cause everybody's going to give you a ration of shit if you get caught. Yeah. Oh, I love you so much, baby. Like, no, that's not happening. Oh, yeah. I could see the <laughs> ration just be like, Ooh, you like people fucking with you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's so communicating, right? Um, mismatch sex drives, communicate. If you are needing more than what your partner is giving you, your needs are not being met. Say something. Oh my goodness. Say something. I think of this maybe more so from a woman's perspective than a man's. It's a little easier for a man to get it going and get it over with. And for a female, it takes a lot more. We are crock pots. <laughs> so to speak, it takes more effort. It takes more time. It takes a lot of concentration to get there. And if that's never happening for you, or if you are one of the women that fake it, please stop it and communicate. Thank you. 
Round of applause. It, I, I, I know dudes that have faked orgasms as well. If it just so carte blanche, if you fake an orgasm, I mean, it's probably really hard to fake an orgasm for a guy, but don't fucking do that. That's it's Knock shitty. It it's shitty. Knock it off. Yeah. yeah it's fake it. And, and I think that we're afraid of hurting our partner's feelings. Right. And saying like, well, actually I didn't finish. Like, actually you're not doing it for me. Well, how are they ever supposed to know? Yeah. If, you know, and then this leads me into, uh, Ooh, I'm getting fired up. Okay. This leads <laughs> me into having your own relationship with your sexuality. Um, if you don't know your, and I'm speaking to women here for just for a second. So have a seat, men, women come a little closer. Listen up. Um, if you don't know your own body, how do you expect your partner to? So if you're not taking the time to figure out what turns you on, what you like, how the heck are you expecting your husband or your partner to do that for you? That's so much pressure. Like learn, learn your body, please learn yourself and then teach your partner what you like and communicate about it. That is where good sex comes from. hundred percent. Like if you don't know your body, I mean, that's, yeah, that's one of those things where people don't come with an instruction manual. Everyone's different. Everybody's different. Yeah. I mean, some women need toys. Some dudes need something else. I mean, it's, it's, it's the spectrum, right? It's just whatever's you're into and you need to be comfortable enough and confident enough and secure enough to express those needs to your partner. I think, and I think that's a recipe for any good sex, really like, Hey, if that's working, okay, cool. Do that, but communicate it because you don't come with an instruction manual. Neither do I. So let's figure this shit out. I think a lot of people ask, like, how practically, how do we do this? Like, how do we communicate about this? What does that look like? Because I think we are afraid of rejection yep. and we are afraid of failure. And I think that's why a lot of men and women don't try certain things in the bedroom or they do the same thing every single time. And it gets really monotonous because we are afraid of rejection and failure. Like, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> So a way to, I think, bring this up and something that I will, you know, I talk to my couples about it too, is when you are done having sex, when you're cuddling or whatever you do afterwards, ask your partner, what was your favorite? Let's talk about it. It's Have almost like AAR. A, <laughs> yes. a post-coitus AAR. Oh my God. <laughs> a <Sorry>. little debriefing. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. You know, like, what did you like? What do you wish? Or like, did you know what felt good to you? What did you, what about what didn't feel good to you? Or what was your favorite? And then from there in that space, especially after you, if you both magically orgasm, which doesn't always happen, but usually one person has, um, then you're feeling more relaxed in your, like, you know, you're breathing together and just like ready for bed. Getting that oxytocin hit. It's a good time to bring up like, you know, I kind of would want you to try this next time. Like, would you be open to that? Yeah. And then you fall asleep and you forget the conversation ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's even worse when alcohol is involved. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Here's a question for you though. Uh, so I know there's uh, a lot of taboo subjects out there and we tend to think of sex as a very vanilla, you know, straight up missionary kind of thing or your typical doggy style or whatever. Um, however, what about those folks out there that might be into like kink or something like that, or some have some sort of sexual fantasy that really they want to try, but they have a hard time communicating that need to their partner. Like how would you, what recommendation would you give to them? There's a 
few, I guess, like fun ideas to bring that up. So one is a podcast. Um, there are many, many podcasts that talk about this stuff. Find one, listen to a part of it, and then be like, hey, babe, listen to this podcast with me. What do you think? <laughs> so that's one way to introduce it. If you don't really feel like you have the um, courage to just up and say it. Um, be more subtle or, about it, kind of. Yeah. Or even like showing an Instagram. There's tons of Instagram accounts that talk about this kind of stuff too. Like, hey, did you see this Instagram account? Like, what do you think about this? Um, yeah, it can seem more taboo, but have you ever heard of the, <laughs> it's kind of goofy, but, um, don't visit, don't, it, no, don't yuck my yum. Have you heard that? I have not heard of that. Okay. So I hear that in the kink world a lot. Like don't yuck my yum because everybody is different and you don't know if your partner would be interested in it unless you bring it up to them. True. So I guess if you're brave enough, then you bring it up verbally and just say, Hey, this is something I've been thinking about. Would this be something you'd be interested in trying, but also respecting your partner? Because if it's something like that, they just <laughs> think is so wild and crazy and they would never do that. You kind of have to cut your losses and maybe, um, find some kind of medium or halfway point or something else for you guys to try, because obviously it has to be consensual and both people need to be into it for it to be good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, uh, respecting boundaries is one of those critical things of a healthy relationship as well, whether that's in the bedroom or, you know, just normal day-to-day business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And having that trust and that connection with someone and we're talking about good sex, like that is one of the top things next to communicating is having that trust where you just feel so safe with your partner that you don't, you don't care what you look like or what you sound like. It's just like a good bonding close experience where afterwards you're both like, wow, I feel so much closer to you. Um, and I think a lot of times it's not that it's not, it's a quick one and done, like, all right, monotonous, like, you know, we do it this way and then it's over with, we roll over and we fall asleep. That's, I just don't think that's what sex is supposed to be. And sometimes it is like that. Sure. You know, you have children and busy lives and schedules, but if you're not making time to at least have some like bomb ass, like passionate sex once a month, you need to reconsider. You need to get a babysitter, (laughs) do something once a month. That's it. It doesn't have to be every time. Cause I know that's a time it's a, it takes time to have good sex like that. But I think that there needs to be that kind of connection in a relationship. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people's sex lives and relationships feeling really strong. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, throwing kids into the mix too, it's, it's, it becomes really complicated really fast. I mean, you're kind of trying to bang it out between one kid melting down and the other one sleeping. It's like, Hmm, can we make this happen? Let's go, let's go, go like one of those things. And it's, it's hard, but also, I mean, you got to have that compromise element to it as well. And you kind of got to figure out what you guys like or what your partner likes. Um, you got to be trustworthy. You have to, uh, I think also be open to being vulnerable too, because your partner might not try or might be into something that you're not into. So, I mean, are you going to try it? Are you going to entertain it? Are you going to act upon it? Are you going to try and just please them even though you don't like it? And I think that's another thing that we kind of fail to recognize is we often go above and beyond to try and please our partner because we are professional problem solvers at the end of the day. And we try and make things right. So if your partner is not necessarily demanding, but asking for something, you're probably going to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, 
subjected to trying it, even if you don't like it and pretending. And I think mm-hmm. that's one trap that people fall into. If that makes yeah. any sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And both people have to be on board. And I think that there's a way to communicate it too, where if your partner brings up like, Hey, I want to try this instead of going, uh, you want to try that? What, where did you even see that? Where did you hear that? Like, why would you want to do that? That sounds horrible. You're, you're shaming your partner. And like you said, in the beginning, sex has become such a taboo topic because there's so much shame around it in the culture that we've grown up in. Oh, absolutely. And in the United States, especially looking at other cultures, they don't have that same shame around sex that we have. No, you spend a month in Europe and you realize how open uh, and equal as well. Uh, man, woman, same sex relationships. It doesn't matter. It, it's like out, out there. They talk about it freely and it's not like taboo or anything like that. But here over here in the United States and probably a few other handful of countries around the world. I mean, it's, it's like, no, that happens you know, when mommy and daddy love each other very much, you know, and I think it's bullshit, really. I think that, uh, I think that being open, honest and accepting of your needs, your own needs and your partner's needs is a recipe for a healthy, uh, sexual relationship and just relationship in general. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and being able to not judge or shame your partner. And when they share stuff like that with you, it's big. And that's, what's going to create that safety and that closeness to have a good sex life is to be able to feel like you can bring those things up and say, you know, Hey, I really like when you do this, or this is a big one. So if there's something your partner does that you don't like, which I see often, there's a way, this is a tip that I use with a lot of my couples. I see there's a way to communicate this. Um, have you heard of a compliment sandwich? I have not. Oh, yay. Okay. You can use this in all different places. It doesn't have to be sex related, but work related, it could use, it could work too. So to give a compliment sandwich, you start with the compliment, which is the bun or the bread of the sandwich. And it would, it would look something like, um, you do such a good job at this. It makes me feel so good. I love when you do that. That's the compliment. And then the meat of the sandwich is the constructive criticism. And you say, but when you do this, it kind of, it doesn't do it for me. Like, I don't really love when you do that. And then you end with the other bottom bread, which is another compliment. But I love that you're trying to please me. It really, it makes me feel really loved by you. Compliment sandwich. So it doesn't make the person feel like shit because you're able to deliver in a way of compliments, constructive criticism, compliment versus like, Hey, when you do that, I hate it. Don't ever do it again. Like <laughs> <laughs> then they're not going to want to ever try anything because they got shut down so hard. Well, yeah. I mean, you're just like basically shutting down something they may have been enjoying and you're just kind of shaming them in a, in a sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's a good, that's a good tip. Thank you. I might carry that one along with me. (laughs) Yeah. Put it in your pocket. It's a good one. (laughs) Not a turd sandwich, a compliment sandwich. It's like antithesis of a turd sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So communicating, um, your needs. And then, um, another thing that I have on my list to talk about too, is what are other ways that you can connect or be intimate? So it's different for every situation. It's hard to say this is the one situation for every couple. Cause it's not, but, um, if you're the couple where the first responder comes home and they need to just have a minute, have a shower, have a beer, sit down before they can get it on and connect with their families again, their wives. Um, 
communicate about it and maybe come up with another way you can be intimate with your partner. Because I'm thinking it's not always, and I'm curious from your perspective, actually, I'm thinking from a woman's perspective, we don't always have sex because we are horny. We have sex because we want to feel close to our partners. Is that same for men or no? Uh, I, I think it's a good mix of both because there are times that you want to feel close with your partner, of course. And there's also times where you just got to get it in. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking more so of the times, maybe this is just for women, but, um, and some men too, but the times that you want to feel intimate, but you're not ready to connect with sex yet. Communicating about different ways to meet that need. So, um, I'm thinking too about on the Dear Chiefs podcast, we talked a lot about women being touched out, women that have children. They're being overly touched all day long by kids and they don't have any adult interactions. So then when their husband comes home, they're like, please take the children. I'm going to lock myself in my room and just like not be touched. I need to just like be left alone. Yeah. The last thing you want me to do is pass by you in the kitchen and be cheeky and grab your ass. That's probably the last thing you want. I mean, it could come from pure intentions, but obviously you've been overstimulated from screaming kids the entire day. Exactly. Yeah. So what are other ways that you can be intimate and kind of warm back up to each other again? Maybe that looks like having a show that you guys watch once the kids are asleep, or maybe that looks like just sitting next to each other on the couch, or maybe it looks like cuddling the first night you guys are together, but really kind of lowering the expectation that you have for each other. Because I think that there's this buildup with first responders. I know that there is, especially from a first or from the partner's uh, point of view is we count down the days until we're reunited. And that's the sweetest, best part of first responder relationships is that there's this honeymoon phase that seems to go on and on and on um, when resentment doesn't get in the way because you're always so stoked to see each other and happy to reconnect again. And you have a lot of really good hot sex because you're like, yes, I haven't seen you in so long. We're not having sex all the time. We're only having it every few weeks. Very intimate or very uh, it, like, yeah, just spread out very sparsely. Yeah, 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 definitely. So because of that, I think that that's a perk of being in a first responder relationship. But I think also that there's this expectation sometimes. And when your partner doesn't meet that expectation, there's a lot of disappointment. And then that's where resentment comes from. So if we can bite the bullet and kind of fight that off before it grows and say, Hey, um, I've been thinking about you all day long. I can't wait to have sex. Like, or just being really straightforward like that and putting it out there to see what your partner says. I know that there's a fear of rejection there, but I think that it's important to kind of get your expectations right. Feel it out. Like you said, read the room. Yeah. Read the room and also like managing expectations, I think too, I think is one of those critical components. And, uh, what I mean by that is like, yeah, you can, I guess, troll the water to see what the temperature is and like dip your toe in the water and kind of get a pulse on what's going on. But that has to be a two way street. Like Mm -hmm. when you come home, your partner might not be into it or when you come home, they could be super into it and you're not right. So throw the couple, you know, lures out there in the water and kind of figure out what's, what the temperature of the room is. Yeah. That makes so I have sense. a question for you. What's up? So do first responders, and I know you're almost speaking as one, but maybe people you've talked to, do you like it when your partner sends you like a nudes or a sexual picture when you're out or been gone for a while? Me personally? Yes, mm-hmm. I do. 
as far as the rest of the community, I can't answer to it. I would want to say a majority of the men, if I were to be a betting person, a betting man, um, I would say that a majority of the men really enjoy the shit out of that. Right. Cause it's, it's a form of intimacy and it's also a form of vulnerability that they are giving you. Your partner is giving you in the middle of nowhere. Right. And there's a lot of trust that has to be, uh, exchange there. There has to be a very, very high degree of trust in exchange for crossing that threshold of sending nudes to each other. Right. And, uh, we've all heard the horror stories of like, you know, what's that dickhead that was like harvesting people's nudes, like the revenge porn. We've all heard of that stuff. So you're taking a huge risk and a lot of faith and trust in somebody, your partner, because equally it can come from the opposite side of that relationship and vice versa. Right. So I think is it enjoyable? Yes. But I think that from my point of view, it is enjoyable from my point of view. However, if it's, you know, harnessed as a weapon and used against them, that's where it becomes really fucked up really fast. And I have, I, I, I can't stand that shit, man. It's horrible. It's bad. Tell me more about that. Like, give me an example of how that could be used for some kind of harnessing that. Well, so you get the, and I've seen this happen and I'm not going to say where or when, but I've seen it happen to where, you know, they're a, a couple are dating and like you go back to the yard and you guys got done PTing or, or you guys are just like bullshitting around, like cleaning up the station or whatever. And say this firefighter couple or this, this, this firefighter, you know, whether it be male or female, doesn't really matter. Cause I've seen both sides they're going through a rough time or a rocky road with the relationship. And you're like, Oh, look at what my girlfriend or look at what my boyfriend or look at what my girlfriend sent to me. Right. Or whatever my partner sent to me. And they're just like blasting it out across the entire station. It's kind of fucked up, man. I mean, yeah. And I've seen that happen. However, there's a lot of, I guess they, I guess what I'm getting at is there's a lot of risk associated with that when you're exchanging, uh, nude photos with each other, with your partner. And, uh, I think that's kind of some of the, like the, the taboo, like hotness, if you will, mm-hmm. but I've seen it backfire and just catastrophically fail and be used as revenge when shit goes awry in the relationship. Mm. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then like we talked about in the beginning, like when your partner just gives you the thumbs up to a picture that you spend a lot of time making sure it looks hot. Right. And then you send it to them out of vulnerability. And then you get that disappointment of, well, I got a thumbs up to that. Like not, Oh wow, baby, you look so good. <laughs> you yeah. know? And you know, I, I, I can't obviously answer from the woman's perspective. Um, but I mean, I, I guess I can ask you the same question. I mean, do you find that with your partner, if they're going to send you uh, nudes, do you think that's hot depending on the context? I mean, <laughs> yeah. see, there Absolutely. we go. Yeah. I think like you said, it's a form of intimacy and vulnerability and it's attractive and you haven't seen them in a long time. You miss those parts of them, you know? And it's, I, that was one of the tips I had. So that's why I wanted to pick your brain from a, a male's perspective. But one of my tips of having and growing and keeping intimacy with first responder families or partners I guess not families, but partners is being able to keep that fire alive when you're gone. And obviously they're probably not going to have a lot of time to sit there and go into a whole sexting conversation with you, but by exchanging pictures 
or little things. Like if you are the first responder, like I can't wait to come home and, you know, be in your arms or like you could bring it up the level and make it more dirty, right? Like dirty talking over text. Yeah. You got to escalate that precisely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's lots of, <laughs> I have a lot of suggestions there, but um, you can use your imagination of things that you can tell your partner to get them excited to see you again and to also keep that alive. And I think it keeps that like feeling of security alive too. Like I said in the beginning, where if you don't have good communication or trust and you're worried about your partner not being faithful while you're gone or not feeling connected, that's a way to kind of ensure that connection that you guys have. No, absolutely. Yeah. And that, like you said, I mean, it's, that's a next level trust, especially, uh, millennials, the generation millennial generation. I mean, yeah, you need to have a lot of trust in somebody to, you know, go that, that extra step. Do I think there's anything wrong with, you know, sharing news with each other? Absolutely not. No, whatever you're into, go for it. And you know, I, 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 it's what I don't get is that there's such this double-edged sword between men and women when it comes to sexuality, right? These things are not created equally, especially in the United States. Like I was saying earlier, and I was kind of trying to allude to in like Europe and some other handfuls of countries is that that shit is it's equal, right? Over here, though, you see the dude that's kind of known for notorious for being a slut and sleeping around and, you know, they they're admired, right? Especially by their male peers. Now, if you see the same thing with a woman, then it's completely different. Now you slut shame them and you do all this stuff. And I I think it's fucking bullshit. It's like the, I had this good conversation with um, my buddy booze about people that do OnlyFans, right? Mm -hmm. If you got it, rock it. There's no, (laughs) you're getting, fuck it, man. I mean, if you, yeah, it's the ethical way to look at pornography. Because the person is wanting to do it. They are providing this and they're getting paid for what they're doing. It's not like some pornography, a lot of pornography, you know, just random Pornhub stuff that is, who knows if it's consensual, who knows if they're on drugs, who knows knows if it's legal, who knows if it's legal. Absolutely. Super sketchy. I think OnlyFans is the more ethical way to look at pornography. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And you don't, they're not paying an agent. They're not paying X, Y, and Z and the other, you know, I mean, the money's going directly to them for their talents. You know what they are paying taxes. Did you know that? Oh yeah. 40%. It's crazy. (laughs) No different from owning a small business. I mean, it's, it's pretty stiff, hefty taxes, but that comes with the territory of living in the United States. I'm surprised you knew that number. Do you have an OnlyFans? No, I own a business. I could have an OnlyFans. Should I start an OnlyFans for the podcast? I mean, <laughs> uh, there we go. I'll just start an OnlyFans and just like take pictures of like actual fans, like ceiling fans, box fans, window fans. No one would be paying for that. I don't no. think. No, but the irony is worth its weight in gold, in my opinion. But anyways, yeah, it, it's, it's so funny that, uh, that if a woman has an OnlyFans and there, there are women out there and men out there in the first responder community with OnlyFans, yet one is like, oh, look at this badass motherfucking pimp. Right. And the other one's like this fucking slut. Look, she's got an OnlyFans. Now, why is that? So I think it's utter bullshit, man. Like the, the double-edged sword between men and women that, yeah. That sucks. Yeah. yeah, it does suck. You're right. Absolutely. And I think that women 
especially now in the era of like call her daddy. Have you heard of that podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't, okay. What happened to the, uh, so that was like part of, uh, that barstool, barstool yeah barstool, barstool sports jesus and uh whatever happened to them they had they heard some like controversy or something like that oh yeah i i i am a big fan of call her daddy and i'll tell you why but um they had that big thing where sophia and alex the two hosts got into this big thing about the percentage that they were making from it and so i think that they alex decided to go away from barstool sports and start her call her daddy through just Spotify. And so she's underneath her own um, label name. Now she's, she's independent now. Yes. Yeah. And the other girl, Sophia, she started her own podcast, which I don't think is as good, but um, I like call her daddy for a lot of reasons. I think she talks openly about sex and is very confident in how she talks about it. Where if you're someone that's kind of like, uncomfortable, dirty talking, or even like listening to that kind of stuff, or you want to know more about what to try in the bedroom. I think that that's a really great podcast because she is very straightforward. Matter of fact about it. You just have to get past her voice. I think it's the hardest thing. The vocal fry. I'm sorry. The vocal fry just drives me nuts. It's like, I have like some pet peeves. It's like chewing with your mouth open, vocal fry, answering questions when you've been like for somebody like, yeah, just, I don't know. I'm kind of of weird, but the vocal fry thing just bugs me. Yeah, it's a it's a hard one. But she has had a lot of really cool mental health topics on her podcast. So do I wear my unwell sweatshirt often? Yes. Do I wear it while I do therapy with clients? Yes. (laughs) Well, that's just needed, though. I mean, I mean, aside from the mental health component, which is a whole other topic as well, which we we're going to get into, of course, um, I think that, you know, I have a lot of respect for the Call Her Daddy podcast. I don't listen to it. My wife listens to it occasionally. Um, But I have a lot of respect for it because it levels the playing field in that double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. And I think there probably needs to be more of that stuff. Yes, yes. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at in the most tasteful way that a therapist can from my Instagram is by creating reels, talking about sex and talking about intimacy and first responder relationships. I am trying to do it without getting canceled. Um, because there walk. Is, yeah. There's also the stigma that therapists need to be this like cardigan wearing quiet librarian, like mousy women or men. And that is not who I am. And so when I see my clients or my couples, I mean, we're getting down to the nitty gritty talking about it real. There's no beating around the bush with me. And um, I think that my clients appreciate that because I usually attract clients that are wanting to talk about real stuff. I just recently um, got a message actually after you reposted that you and I were going to be talking about sex. Um, a man slid into my DMs and said, oh, I could never talk about this with a female Why? or a female therapist. That tells me that you're wildly insecure. Sorry. Perhaps. Yeah. Or just super uncomfortable with the thought of having I don't a female's perspective. I'm not sure. But um and then he asked me, Well, how often do men do men usually feel comfortable talking about sex with you in sessions? And how often does this come up? It comes up every single every single client I've had has brought up sex one way or another. And it's usually not the first topic that comes up. Sometimes it is. But it always comes up because it's so important and it's so vital to, like you said, our health. It's vital to our mental health. Oh, yeah. 
sex is a part of all of that. And so if we're talking about mental health and you're seeing me as a client, I we're probably going to have a topic about your sexual relationships or your intimacy with your partner because it's important. Yeah. And that's another thing too, speaking of bringing it back to the pornography thing too, is like, look at how male dominated even the pornography industry is. It's all focused on the dudes. Well, what about the females? What about the women well, out there? There is this little tab on Pornhub now. I don't know if it's a new or when it came in, but it's like for women. Have you ever, I don't, I don't want to put you on spot. If you watch porn. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Can't say I've browsed so, Pornhub in the recent, uh, I don't know, probably six months. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll be okay. honest. Whatever. Okay. Yeah, you can be honest. So um, yeah, they have a, a little like thing for women, but it's interesting. It's very like 50 shades of gray, like. Um, Which is not realistic at all. No, no. And that's no. the thing. It's like, we try to make porn for women and it's this like over romanticized, like it just doesn't happen like that. It's probably produced by men. <laughs> Most likely. Yes. Just saying. Yeah. yeah. Most likely. Yeah, you're right though. It is very dominant, male dominant in that industry. Well, I think that, uh, I guess what the point that I'm getting at is with a very male dominated industry, one first responders and a very, uh, male dominated history of pornography. I think that kind of, if, if you've explored your sexuality fucking at all, you've probably been to Pornhub. I'm just going to throw it out there. I, I, and if you're saying no, yeah, if you're saying no, you're probably lying to yourselves. You've probably seen some pornography in some way, shape, form to some degree, right? But I think that a lot of the pornography out there, it sets an unrealistic expectation of what sex is actually supposed to be like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that goes into knowing your own, having a relationship with your own sexuality as well. Um, For men, I think we talked about masturbation growing up as a very scientific thing. It has to happen or biological. Right. It needs to happen. Men need that release. But when it comes to women, we don't talk about masturbation. It's not something that's taught in health class. It's not something that's normalized when, and I'm a millennial, so I'm 29. I grew up hearing like, no, ew, women don't do that. Like girls don't do that. And so it was very shameful and it was a secret kind of a thing. It's like trying to say like women don't fart. <laughs> yeah, right. Are you fucking kidding me, man. <laughs> Women have the probably the gnarliest farts. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. My ma- or my my uh my wife just went through back to back pregnancies and holy shit, there's something different about a pregnancy fart. Just saying. Poor lady, yes. I have never been there, but I can believe you. Yeah, I I think that that's another aspect of a, a lot of women not knowing their own bodies and their own having being in touch with their own sexuality is there was so much shame around it growing up that now all of a sudden this generation that's growing up they're getting this women empowerment like call her daddy era where we're talking about sex and we're talking about masturbation and and it's being more incorporated but um millennials and anyone after that or before that, like we didn't grow up with that. So how are we, you know, it's not too late. That's my point. Do it now. (laughs) Well, the thing, I think you should have a healthy relationship with your own uh, body and your own sexuality. I mean, who's why, why is someone going to shame you for it? Like fuck them, take the power, put it in your own court. I mean, yeah. Put the ball in your own court and figure out what works for you. Yeah. And if your partner has gone a lot, then you have plenty of time to explore it yourself. 
And that's another thing is like, are you meeting your own needs as well? Or are you waiting for your partner to meet them entirely? Because you're able to meet your own needs sexually. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And if you're not doing it, I think that's unhealthy. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Cause you're putting all the pressure on your partner, not only to know your body, but also to meet all your needs. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, I, that's that whole to a, a double-edged sword I was kind of talking about. I don't know of any dude, whether they're in a, a, a relationship or married or whatever, a single person, I don't know of a single guy that doesn't masturbate. I don't think it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's a single dude out there that doesn't like masturbate regularly. Even if they're having a lot of sex, there's probably still some shower time or whatever. And they're still probably masturbating. However, with women, um, I mean, obviously my perspective is wildly skewed because of a guy. I, I, I can't speak to it, but I think it's fair to assume that a lot of women don't partake in taking care of themselves as much as men do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, that that's where women that are more insecure will get upset with their partners if they are masturbating instead of having sex. Now, let me be clear on that. If your partner is home and they go in the other room to masturbate instead of being intimate with you, or they go and turn towards, you know, up instead of having sex with you, I think that that definitely causes some issues and there's red flags there for me. But if your partner's gone and they told you like, Oh yeah, I jacked off this morning and you get upset about it or you feel jealous about it. I think that really shows the lack of um, intimacy that you have with your own self. And that goes back to women not having it being normalized for them to have that relationship with their own intimacy, you know? They said it was really like frowned upon, looked at as dirty, shameful, slutty, gross to even do that. And I remember like people like friends asking each other, do you guys do that? Oh no, I would never do you. Like that's kind of a peep into what the girls growing up look like. Yeah. Did I lose you? Nope. Nope, There you are. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't understand it though. I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I've kind of beat this one to death, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know your body, figure it out, and buy a vibrator. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also, I think a lot of men are afraid of sex toys, and that's a big one, too, is men are feeling like they're being replaced by them. But uh, actually, no, do you want carpal tunnel? If you don't want carpal tunnel, then help yourself out and use a sex toy. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. I, I, I I mean, I come to find that, you know, bringing a toy into intimacy, like when you're actually getting it on, I mean, shit, that could be a, an enhancement, quite the enhancement. For both people. For yeah, both. Absolutely. Yeah. For both. 100 fucking percent. It, it's just try it. If you're kind of skeptical or anything like that, give it a shot. What do you got 100%. to lose? Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of science behind that, that I'm thinking of, and I won't get nerdy, but. Oh, no. Um, this is, if any place is to do it, this is the place to do it. So go ahead and take it away if you want. Well, I'm just thinking of like when we are like going back to like fetuses, right? We technically all have the same parts. And then as we develop within the womb, we create like having, you know, a penis or a vagina, right? But it's the same things, just different, obviously 
I'm going to use the word shapes. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. <laughs> one's kind of like turned inside out and the other one's kind of external. I don't exactly. Know. But yeah. the same sensations. So things like endings. a vibrator that we think are most are only for women. Like, oh, as a man, I would never try that. Like, no, try it because the same sensation that a woman gets, you can also get. Um, but you have to be open to trying something like that. And it, like you said, it can really enhance pleasure for both people. And also I think for, especially for women, right. Um, very low percentage of women actually can orgasm by penetrative sex. It's a ridiculously low number and guys. Yeah. You need to figure out where the, I hate this fucking, this analogy, but the man in the boat, you need to figure out where that is. Man in the boat. You've never heard of that. The man in the canoe or the person in the canoe. No, but I'm now picturing the canoe. I'm trying to make a very shitty analysis that I've heard probably, I don't know, a hundred times in probably when I was very young about a clitoris. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the G-spot. I think those are very important places to know where they are and how to access them. Because a lot of times, and especially like male anatomy, not everyone's shaped and sized the same way. So not everybody's going to hit it in that certain angle or direction angles are a big thing with sex right like sometimes angles hurt as a woman sometimes they feel better than other angles and that's where communicating really comes into play of being able to tell your partner like oh let's let's move this way and and it's different every time too if you're not as a woman this is just another scientific biological fact if you're not fully turned on actually um her cervix is closer it actually moves. So when you're fully aroused as a woman, it like scoots back and makes room for no penis. Shit. But if you're not fully aroused and turned on, it's actually shorter. And so a lot of times women will experience pain with intercourse because the penis will be literally hitting their cervix. And that's because you're not fully aroused. Ow. It's not like a pain. It's like a, like, I don't even know how to explain. <laughs> it's not super painful enough to not want to have sex. It's just like not the most comfy feeling. And so angles are a big part when it comes to that. Yeah. So foreplay is important, people. Um, just want to throw that out there. I don't know where I was going with that, but um, oh, knowing knowing your body. Yeah. Knowing where those things are. And w- a lot of women aren't going to come by just banging it out like that. You have to use your hands and other things to figure out you know, in, in sex toys to figure out how to make your partner comfortable enough to come. And women are so in their heads when they're having sex. You know, I could be thinking about a hundred different things. And if I'm not in the right head space, I, there's no way in heck I'm going to ever orgasm. I mean, it's not going to happen because my head's not there. Well, then I think, uh, you know, I think the thing that we, especially guys, especially, fail to realize is that it's not a one size fits all recipe. I mean, every woman, just as a guy, I mean, everybody's different, right? Different mm-hmm. sizes, shapes, curves, features, whatever. Yep. That spot may not be in. If you're, say you're single and you're, 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 uh, strolling about the fields of everything, whether yep. that guy, a girl, whatever. Um, so you have different partners over a, different period of time not any one person is going to be the same as the other and that's a universal thing too doesn't matter if you're male or female yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely and i think it's important to know that like 
yeah, it's not going to be the same. And, and other people are going to have different pleasures or different discomforts that other people don't have, you know, especially looking at the female anatomy, very different for women too. You know, some people's clitorises are in a different space or a different place than other people's, right? Not everybody's is like out in the open. Some are tucked away. And I think that's important to know as a man. So, well, I think that's that communication element too, as well. I mean, there's, I mean, even if you're being intimate and say that your partner's not doing it for you, you can communicate even non-verbally what you like. You just got to be receptive enough to pick it up. Like, oh, my hand should go there or, hey, this ankle has worked better. I mean, be receptive and open to and reactive as well to their needs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's really intimate and I think, um, vulnerable too is mutual masturbation. And I don't think that there's enough topic about this because we always just talk about sex and we always talk about, you know, masturbation being something you do alone. But if you're comfortable enough with your partner, being able to actually see each other do that. I think that's a really big learning thing too, because if you're able to watch your partner do that, you can say, Oh, that's what I'm doing wrong. (laughs) That's what you like. That makes sense. Yeah. That's also and communication, right? Yeah. And it's attractive, right? Yeah. It's a turn to see that. So I think that especially women are, I think men too, probably embarrassed to do that. And it comes along the same guidelines with how women are with having sex with the lights on. Yeah. A lot of people don't like the lights on. It's, I, I guess I'm a lot more comfortable sexually than a lot of people, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I've never understood that. Oh, there's lots of elements to it. I think, well, I wouldn't want a spotlight on me. (laughs) Stage lights and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like clinical or something. Like it's like the very corner taking notes, like (laughs) sterile lighting. Like I understand that. Um, But I think having like a bedside light on or like the bathroom light on or something in your bedroom to have a little bit of light can actually be really attractive because then you can see each other and you can make eye contact. That's a huge thing during sex. If you're closing your eyes, do me a favor, open your eyes when you're on top of your partner look at them in the eye. Like that is such an intimate thing. And, you know, especially even like doggy style, like turn around and look at your partner. Like, that's, that's a big one. And I think that we can't do that when the light is off, but I think that a lot of people, it's that shame element, but then there's a lot from a women's perspective and a man's about body image. Yep. We do not talk about men and body image issues. We talk about women and body image issues, but happens for both people. And I think the light off makes us feel like better. But let me just tell you that if you're having sex, the last thing your partner is looking at is your stomach rolls. The last thing that they're looking at. Right. Yep. Eyes. It's all about the eyes. And every other part of your body. No one's looking at your how your stomach is yeah, holding no one, in half. Yeah. No <laughs> one's looking at your love handles. No one gives us you can't even see your love handles. Come on. Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah. No one looks attractive being folded in half. Let's just be real about that too. Like there's and that's the problem with pornography is we see these perfectly uh plastic bodies. Perfectly lit in a perfect setting with a perfect ISO shutter speed and all this other shit, right? Yeah. And the most amazing penises ever that no one, a lot of people don't have like no body hair, like all these different things. It's just not realistic. 
we yeah. have razor bumps and we have love handles and I've got hair on my ass. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we got hairy bun cheeks, man. No one's bun hole looks great. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest here. And an asshole is not the most attractive thing ever. <laughs> so. It's not. It's not. And your partner's probably seen it multiple times. Oh, but yeah. I mean, that's a part of the intimacy and the vulnerability that comes with sex. It's like you're really loving someone at their rawest form of being not put together. Oh yeah. And it's extremely vulnerable, but I will say that if you want to, uh, I guess a low hanging fruit, as far as spicing it up, mirrors are a great thing, especially if you like happen to be, I don't know, your house has like those, you ever seen those like stereotypical mirrored sliding doors for like a closet? Those things yes. are fucking awesome. Yes. 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 Yes, because you can make a lot of connection uh, non-verbally just by visual or, you know, you can read each other and you don't even have to be like looking directly, but you can still make that eye contact off the mirror. Mm-hmm. You can be yep. polar opposite of each other and still make it work. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even like there's a vulnerability if you are in that place in your relationship of recording one another or recording for your own purpose. Obviously, you have to feel safe enough to do this with your partner. But um, that can be really hot too, you know, having that and then maybe watching it together and like, just throw that out there. Yeah. Um, you know, a little GoPro action too. <laughs> Strap it to your partner's head. <laughs> your placed on the headboard. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. No, it's But good. again, consensual has to be both people that want to do something like that. Yeah, it's not for everybody. It goes back to the whole nude taking thing. Um, I mean, that's a lot of uh, vulnerability that you're expressing and a lot of trust that you have to have for each other to, you know, explore the the photography or the videography videography of that act. I mean, it's a lot of risk you're taking. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Getting warmed up over here. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, we're getting spicy in here. <laughs> I'm so getting canceled for this episode. You'll be it's fine. It's okay. Right <laughs> alongside you. So. <laughs> All right. And so let's, we've talked about how to spice it up and we've talked about some of these overcoming some of these hurdles that oftentimes we encounter in the bedroom or just in relationships in general. So let's talk about some of the things that really cause this, right? So we talked about sexless relationships. Let's talk about timing. Because timing is oftentimes critical. I and mean, I don't think we really like dove deep into that subject. Like yeah. coming off of a fire, especially if it's like a real rough call or like some shit went down, I could completely understand that you don't want to be intimate right away. Mm-hmm. I could, I get that. Well, there's some people that. that use it as a coping skill too, though. Which I think is kind of, <sighs> could be unhealthy depending on the context. Well, yeah, if you come home and you're like super rough with it because it's a coping skill, I think that's not a form of intimacy for your partner, probably. No, that's not healthy at all. That's kind of scary, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that happens too often. I see that a lot with partners that I see. But um, yeah, I'm also thinking about like different people's as far as timing and like sex drive goes to those kind of go together because there are some people that are like morning sex people. And there's some people that are evening sex and some that are midday. 
And if you and your partner have different sex drives where one person really prefers to have sex at night and the other person likes to have sex in the middle of the day, that can be really difficult, especially if you only feel like you have two to three, four days off to make it happen. There's a lot of pressure there. It's like that performance anxiety. I could see that. But also uh, me personally, I, I think the spontaneity of the act is also incredibly sexy. Mm-hmm. So like unplanned. Yeah. Un- completely unplanned. Like, uh, I don't know. Clandestine public what place. Is- How about that? So okay. is that yeah. a, is that a location? No clandestine as is, it was a, a very well hidden place. How about oh, that? I've yeah. never heard that word before. Yeah. Like secret is like, we can get away with this. You want to do this? Okay. Let's do oh, this. Yeah. Yeah. Like the mile high club, right? An airplane. Exactly. Bathroom. Yeah. Like stuff like that. And it wasn't necessarily a or dressing room. God, you'd get busted in a fucking instant if you were to try to do that. But I mean, the spontaneity and I think the, uh, I don't know, the risk-taking thing too. I think that being me personally, being a first responder for a majority of my life, my adult life, I think that the risk also of getting caught or getting whatever, I think that kind of amplifies the experience me personally. And yeah, well, it is a kink, right? But I'm pretty sure I'm willing to almost bet that a lot of people out there would probably find the same thing exciting, right? Mm -hmm. This is what we do professionally. I mean, now if you're to take the same amount of risk, well, yeah, I guess that what I'm getting at is the timing and the spontaneity plus the risk. It probably ex- like expands on the experience is what I'm getting at. Oh yeah. Heightens the excitement that you have around it too, for sure. You're right. Yeah. But I don't know if you've heard of anybody else within the first responder, if that's like a common trait. Mm, no, I haven't, but I think that it probably is more common than not. Mm-hmm. I think like you said, people in general, like even outside of first responder couples probably are more excited, but to do something like that. But I also think, like you said, because of the nature of your job being more risk takey, first responders might be more willing. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They're maybe more willing to try something like that or to put themselves out there in a vulnerable situation Hmm. or risky situation. Yeah, for sure. Maybe I'm just a uh, outlier of the data set. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. I think that I haven't asked enough people about it, so I don't have the data to back you up. But I think that there's your your theory's probably right on track. Hmm. Well, anyways, getting back to timing, though, I mean, what are some things that we can do to like kind of prep the home unit, if you will, uh, about timing and like testing that water? So getting back to the whole trolling motor thing and. and dipping your toe in the water. Like how do we communicate those needs as far as timing goes? That was what I was going to say. You have to communicate it. Um, I think that being able to come up with a way of communicating with your partner that you want to be intimate kind of takes that fear of rejection out of it too. There, I have some couples, so I've never been this kind of person. I'm very like, verbal and I communicate and obviously I'm a therapist. So, um, God bless anybody I'm in a relationship with because they're going to get talked. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how I feel and what I want. Um, 
but not everybody's like that. And I respect that. Some people, um, I have some couples that use like a light where they have this like nightlight or something. And when one person wants to be intimate, they turn it on. And so the other person knows like, Oh, Hey, you're in the mood. Um, because I think that a lot of people, like I said, are, are have a fear of that rejection where yeah. if you come up and, and I think we've all experienced it to some degree or another. I know I have where you, in you initiate being intimate and the person's like, oh, I don't want that right now. Or you smack your wife on the butt or whatever, you know, touch her in a certain way, vice versa. And you get shut down. And then we start to kind of harbor that. So we are less brave and less willing to put ourselves out there because of that rejection. Kind of putting your ego in check per se. Oh, it hurts our ego a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then we get in our heads about it. Are they not attracted to me? Do they not want to have sex? You know, what am I doing wrong? Do I not please them? Do they not love me anymore? It really could spiral out if you allow it to. Well, I think that another thing that we fail to realize too, um, is that relationships change and also what turns you on changes over time. Right. Mm-hmm. So that grab assy kind of playful, uh, I guess, mentality may change over time. So now you got to figure out something new. And I think that's something that we kind of don't recognize as well. Yeah, definitely. And I hear it the other way too, where some women are wanting more grab assy kind of foreplay and they're not getting it anymore because another thing even on a time, I think that we get really stagnant and we stop trying to pleasure and learn each other. But the healthy way to look at this is you are always learning about each other, not just sexually, but in general, until you die, yeah. until you're not with that person anymore. You are always learning about yourself. You're always growing and you're always learning about your partner. And so that should be looked at with sexuality as well, is your partner's likes and interests are going to change over time. And if you stop putting in the effort with your partner, that's where a lot of that resentment comes into, you know, like, oh, well, I don't remember the last time my, you know, my partner did this, or I don't remember the last time my partner just out of nowhere in the middle of the day initiated sex. Like, I think those things need to happen to keep that fire alive in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, I guess kind of harkens back to that old adage of, you know, the day you, you think, you know, everything about a subject is probably the day you should quit. I mean, yeah, if you're not putting in the effort to learn something or if you're not learning something in general every day about your partner or your relationship or intimacy or whatever, it's not a good recipe for success. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that goes back to my point is if you're not having really good connected sex at least once a month, then you need to revisit that category with your partner. You need to talk about it. Yeah. And that goes back to that whole sex drive thing. Cause you mentioned once a month to me and I'm like, Oh my God, that's preposterous. I'm like, I I guess I got a higher sex drive than, you know, once a month, I would have some serious relationship problems if it was once a month and that could be. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, it's good. I don't mean just sex once a month, but I mean like good, intimate, like love making sex once a month. Hot, sweaty, good shit. Yes. Yeah. More than once a month. Like, please, that's awesome. The more you have that in your relationship, the stronger you're going to feel. But I also know that, like I said, with children and busy schedules, that sometimes you just get a quick one in and that's what you got. 
you got to do what you got to do. I mean, yeah, but you can, even the quickie though, there's a lot of value in the quickie. I think, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it could be equally as hot as some like romantic beachside thing, you know, yeah. The, I think people undervalue the quickie, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think that it it is undervalued because it's looked at. I think that it's sometimes looked at as like just a man's way to quickly come. Mm-hmm. And because women take a little bit longer sometimes. But I think that there is this like animalistic, um, sweaty, passionate, like spur of the moment part of it. That's really hot. And I think that that's the part that's undervalued when it comes to quickies. I guess that's what I was getting at the spontaneity thing too. I mean, yeah, the quickie is valuable in my book. And if it's, if it's good, it's good. Right. For both parties. Yeah. Speaking of quickie, I think that as far as looking at sexual dysfunction as well, when men are not able to hold out long enough, or they feel like, and I think every man probably struggles with this at some point or another, like they're not doing it. They're not hanging in long enough for their partner. Um, I think that that can cause a lot of insecurity as well. And I see that happen where people don't communicate about it. I think it's actually could be really hot to be able to communicate with your partner. This like, I like, you feel so good to me that I'm probably not going to last long. I haven't seen you in about a month. But I just want to let you know that like, you give it some time, like I can go again afterwards, or I want to pleasure you after like that can be a really hot thing. Yeah. And I think that's, a, well, I mean, it's probably going to be more side, uh, on the male side of this, this discussion, but, um, also I think women also have the ability to get there on the quickie sometimes as well. Yep. So. Yeah. And women, women can, I mean, obviously you probably know this, but women can, uh, orgasm multiple times in a row. Guys, not no so much. Of, yeah, there's no <laughs> number of stopping. <laughs> you, just FYI. Marathon, you can keep it going there. However, dudes, mm, not so much. Yeah, when I'm done and it takes a little bit of time. Yeah. yeah. But since we're on the topic, let's talk about sexual dysfunction, right? So as you get older or if you have some stress or some anxiety, the shit comes up and it, no one's immune to this, right? Both men and women. So let's talk about it. Let's take a little bit of a deeper dive and let's actually tie it into the chemical dependence thing too. Cause a lot of sexual, from my understanding and what you've told me previously is a lot of these sexual dysfunctions comes from self-medication and the chemical dependencies that we often, often fall into. Yes. And then to bring that even larger scale, I specialize in trauma work. And so I see a lot of PTSD with first responders. And so substance abuse and sexual dysfunction are right underneath the umbrella of PTSD. Really? No shit. Absolutely. Almost. Yeah. Most times, most cases that I've seen. Hmm. Yeah, because in order to self-medicate, they're dealing with their PTSD, the stuff that they've seen by either drinking or smoking or taking whatever, you know, and it's interesting talking about substance abuse. I've seen a huge uptick in cocaine use in first responders recently, more so firefighters. Um, take that as you will. And um, alcohol is huge. Um, and I know this firsthand being in a relationship with a wildland firefighter, that guy drank like he was <laughs> getting paid to do it. 
And it, it was almost this mentality of I've been gone working so hard for this many days. I deserve to come home and have some beers. But it wasn't just a few beers. It was a 12 pack every single time he would come home from a fire. And as a clinician looking at this, to me, that's a sign of alcoholism. That's a sign of chemical dependency. And that can absolutely get in the way of sexual um, intimacy and then there's sexual dysfunction that comes with, you know, obviously whiskey dick is a thing or (laughs) not being able to finish because you drank a thousand Coors Lights. Like that's also a thing. There's, there's two sides of it. And then not having that authentic connection with your partner. Like obviously like drunk sex is a thing. It can be exciting and fun, but if you're always having drunk sex, or if you're the only person drunk and the other person's sober, you're really missing out on that sober, intimate connection that sex is a lot of the times. No, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my, I'm sorry, my ADHD brain is kind of still wrapping my head around the cocaine dispendency thing. Now, (laughs) yeah, I got stuck. I'm sorry. Apologies. But I've heard of like Adderall dependencies and like the proliferation of uh, Adderall in our community. I've heard of that. Uh, especially in the structure side of things, but alcohol is obviously the staple, but cocaine, I didn't know that was like a huge problem from what you've been seeing, like observing. Yeah. I've been observing it more. So like off duty though, not, not on duty on duty. The biggest thing that I see is Adderall and, um, tobacco. I think I have not met. Yeah. I saw you. Yeah. Yeah. That's me (laughs) right there. Met one wildland firefighter that does not chew tobacco (laughs) (laughs) we got a problem (laughs) yeah you guys do and um (laughs) i'm not here to ever judge or blame and i would never i never shamed my partner for doing it when i was in a relationship with someone that did but um i will say that it's a it's a gnarly addiction that we don't even realize is one because nicotine is nicotine is gnarly to quit and and I don't know if you've experienced this, but you get, you know, crabby and irritable if you don't have it. And I think it, we use it to stay awake and alert on when you're working 24s or, you know, crazy shifts. A buddy of mine challenged me to uh, quit chewing tobacco mid roll. Actually, no, like a quarter of the way through a 14 day assignment. And I became the most gnarly, angry motherfucker in the entire planet. I wanted to kill everybody that like came in front of me. And now, it didn't last at the end of the day. It was like, dude, I can't handle your bullshit anymore. Here's a can of Copenhagen. Just fuck off in the woods and enjoy. You're done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I Nicotine's bad. It's real bad, but also alcohol too, because it's, it's normalized. Right. And it's furthermore normalized in a society. And yeah, whiskey dick, if we're going to tie it into this uh, t- conversation, whiskey dick's a real thing. Yeah, and also, you know, when you're doling your senses with a depressant such as alcohol, you're taking away that authenticity, just like you're saying. And another thing too, especially with, I guess, sexual dysfunction. Now we have all of this talk about self-medication with uh, Adderall or alcohol or nicotine or any of these other uh, substances. Now, what about the topic of self-medicating with sex itself? Mm. Yeah, sex addictions are a big thing. I work with a lot of, well, a handful of first struggle with sex addiction. And this comes from the part of our brain that is lights up with impulse control. 
So the kind of people that struggle with impulse control usually have either a, a chemical dependence or a sexual dependence. And it's the same, it's the same part of our brain. So whether you're using meth or you're using sex, that same part of our brain lights up, which is interesting. And we are dependent on that release that happens from it. Nice. And then the chemical release that we get, right? Yeah. Dopamine, endorphin, serotonin. Oxytocin, all this stuff that goes yeah. goes into that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, how uh, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I don't know if in your practice that you've dealt with a lot of uh, sexual dependence. Mm-hmm. What's the rel- what's the prevalence of that? It's pretty prevalent. And I think that a lot of people don't talk about it because, again, there's so much shame. Um, I see it a lot with men more than women, if I'm being honest, just from my perspective. And I, I mean, I probably see more men than women in my clients in general, just because I specialize in first responders. Um, but yeah, a lot of men struggle with this and it can be a really big separation in relationships when you are dependent on either pornography or, um, I see a lot of infidelity that happens with this too where you start maybe talking to women online or getting into like video chat stuff. And that's exciting. And there's a thrill of that. And what happens is if we consume that a lot, then we become dull to just normal sex. It becomes very boring to us. And so just like with drug use, a lot of people don't start off using meth. They usually start off, you know, smoking weed and then using Coke and from there and there because it becomes boring and dull. And so we're always trying to get the next best high. Same thing with um, sexual um, addiction. We are always looking for the next exciting, thrilling thing to do. And it can really get in the way and just wreak havoc in people's marriages and relationships. It needs to be addressed for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've known a lot of people that are just like looking to get it in. Typically they're single, but also there have been married people out there as well, or people in committed relationships. And I've seen it and that's men and women that I've seen in my, this is a very short blip in time. It's only 11 years in the first responder community that I haven't. Right. But I've seen it, It, but I've I've seen it like it's, it's, it's there and it's, I want to say shockingly high from my perspective. Right. Yes. Yeah. I wonder too, if there's something with, um, the kind of personalities that are attracted ADHD responder jobs. Yes. What is with that? What is with ADHD people and being entrepreneurs, first responders or in the military? What, what the fuck is with that? I don't know. There's got there. I'm sure there's studies on it. Also, um, very type A people. Um, I think that's why I'm going to throw this in there too lightly that I see a lot of people with narcissistic tendencies that are in the first responder world as well. Um, so it, there's definitely a personality and a draw to certain people to want to be first responders. And I'm wondering if people that struggle with impulse control also get in there because they like the thrill and the excitement and maybe adrenaline junkies as well. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you look at it, the community as a whole, there's a lot of risk takers out there. I mean, they skydive on the weekends or they go do downhill mountain bike racing or they race motocross or they do some dangerous shit that could get them really, really hurt, but they seek it out just like their jobs. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I see a lot of issues in retirement 
I have a good majority of first responder clients that are going into retirement or have been in retirement and they're losing their shit because they don't have that constant adrenaline of the job and their identity is so wrapped up in their job too. That's a whole other thing. That's one of my big talking points about this podcast is like, don't fall into the trap of letting a, or of don't fall into the trap of becoming a firefighter and letting that become your only identity. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. I've seen it. I, I've even done it. Like, oh, I'm a firefighter. Even, fuck it. Even to this day, it's like, oh yeah, I used to be a wildland firefighter. Mm-hmm. Okay. This yeah. is three, four years ago now. <laughs> it's still. Well, I mean, there's a lot of pride in it too. And I see the same thing working with first responder partners is, oh yeah, I'm a fire wife. Oh yeah, my boyfriend's a firefighter and they've got the 18 bumper stickers, the hat, the sweatshirt for the department and the academy and they wear it everywhere and they introduce themselves as firewives before they introduce themselves with their real job. It's like, excuse me, did you have an identity outside of this beforehand? You must have. Oh man. No more of that, please. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so common though. Is that, that's another thing is it's, it's, it's like so common to like fall into that trap of like, Oh yeah, this is my identity. It's no different than like the, uh, person with the thin blue line flag on the back of their truck or the my you know third cavalry or whatever sticker on the back of their truck or it it it, it's so easy to fall in that trap because it becomes your only identity when you're much more than that and i think that finding an identity outside of what your career is it's pretty important to becoming a whole person yeah, absolutely. And I, I, so I don't get canceled. Let me say this too, that there is a lot of security and community in that. And I think that's why people cling to the stickers and the, and the shirts and stuff so that they can easily be spotted within that culture and understood by other people in the culture. Right. Yeah. It's almost like a safety mechanism almost. And, uh, right. it's also belonging to a community and there's nothing that I don't get me wrong. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right there's nothing I would change for my first responder career. It's very short lived first responder career. And I get it. It's that community. It's belonging to something greater than yourself and a community that's greater to yourself even, but also you're much more than that at the same time. It can't be your only identity. Yeah. So much more than that. And your relationship can't be revolved around this either. Yes. Because at some point, lots of things could happen. You could lose your job. You could get injured and not be able to go back to your job. The biggest, actually, it's interesting. The majority of couples I see are when the firefighter is injured. I will get the wife as a client and I'll ask like, what's going on? Oh, well, my husband's been out of, you know, he's either got dusk duty or he's been out of work for the last four months because he had to have shoulder surgery or whatever. Right. Or he's in dispatch because his knee's torn up or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That happens more often than not. It's very dangerous job and it's very physical and labor intensive. And when that happens, shit hits the fan every single time because they are not used to spending that much time together. And they're not used to having identities in a relationship outside of their typical, you go, you come back, you go, you come back. So they don't even know what to do. There's fighting that happens. Kids are blowing it. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like the, uh, the distance can be a ally and also an adversary at the same time. And that time away, I mean, shit now, I mean, yeah, I mean, even my own relationship, I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it's one of those things where it comes to a point where it's like, yeah, go out and make money. 
sometimes it happens like that, but then reintegrating. So I'm out of fire now and having a plan for the future or like just even being open in considering that fire operationally, it's not going to last forever. You need to have a, like a contingency plan just in case shit does hit the fan. Like you're saying. Yeah. Especially if you're seasonal, right? That's a whole nother ball game right there. You don't have insurance for part of the year. Probably you don't have an income for part of the year. You only, you only work. That's what I was thinking about. And I mentioned at the beginning when we started recording is we're rolling into that season of people coming home from their seasonal jobs. And that is hard for a lot of people. I remember thinking to myself, like, you want me to go start a fire outside for you because you're driving me insane. I love the quality time. I love that you're home for the first couple of weeks. And then after that, I'm like, I need my space again because I'm so used to having it. Oh yeah. Well, this is a professional problem solver in us, right? I mean, you need something to do. You're like a, you're getting barn sour, like a fucking racehorse over there. And not only that, but you've been out in the woods with 20 of your best friends digging holes in the dirt for six to eight months out of the year. And now you've got to like reel it in use a fork and a knife and a napkin, shower regularly, use a toilet. I mean, that's a pretty large culture shock to some degree. And then reintegrating yourself into that like normalcy of what society actually is. It's pretty, pretty fucking hard. It is. Yeah. You can only organize the garage so many times on your off season. Right. Right. The, the grass, if you cut it any shorter or any more perfect, it's just not going to grow anymore. So calm down, have a plan and have a fucking hobby, man. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It's wild. But with all these things on the episode that we've been talking to or talking about tonight, um, I mean, do you have any like recipes for opening that communicate, any additional recipes for opening that communication and talking about things and shoring up that intimacy and everything. Like, how do we make this stuff better? What do you got for us? Like some final tips for us. I got like two. So the one I already said, and I will say it a thousand times until you all hear it and and keep it communicate. And if you're not able to communicate, there is nothing wrong. I'm just going to throw this out there. Not because I'm a therapist, but I'm a therapist that also has a therapist and has done Lots of therapy. Thank you. I immediately trust you because you're a therapist that admitted to having a therapist. I don't trust a single fucking therapist that does not have someone to talk to. Oh gosh, please. Yeah. If your therapist has not seen a therapist run, because I cannot take you any further than I'm willing to go myself. And, um, I mean, yeah, a lot of things there. If I'm not dealing with my own stuff, how am I going to help you deal with yours? I'm not. So you can only fill a glass so full. Yeah. And if I'm not being poured into, how am I going to pour out all those things? So, um, yeah, I'm a big advocate for therapy. It's worked wonders for me in my relationships and myself as an individual. But if you're having a hard time communicating, sometimes just having a third party unbiased person in there as a therapist, there's nothing wrong with that. You do not, like I said, the couples that come to see me are usually coming way too late. If you're at the beginning of your relationship and you're having trouble communicating, book one session. You, there's no commitment. You don't have to be in therapy for years. Like book a session, see what it's like. I have a lot of first responder partners and I'll have their husbands come in for like one or two sessions just to communicate about finances or just to communicate about sex or needs that are not being met. And they're always, almost every time, wow, my husband talked more to you than they have to me about that. 
or wow, I didn't realize my husband or my, or my wife felt this way because I, we don't communicate like that. Sometimes you have to learn. And if you were not taught how to communicate growing up, or maybe you were not mirrored healthy communication by your parental figures growing up, there's no way you know how to do that. If you were mirrored really unhealthy fighting, and maybe you have trauma around that, you're not going to know how to navigate a healthy relationship. You need a little bit of help. So therapy can be something that is really helpful not to plug myself there, but um, it's important. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, shit, my relationship's pretty damn healthy and I want to give credit where credit's due for my uh, marital and family counselor. And uh, yeah, our, our, I guess everybody's looking for problems, I guess you could say with their relationships. That's why you go to a therapist, right? Cause you got problems, but I will 100 fucking percent say that getting ahead of the curve and doing it before it becomes a problem is absolutely fantastic because it's done wonders for our relationship. And also furthermore, I mean, it's not a one size fits all solution for every couple up there out there. Right. It's it, I'd like to akin finding a therapist a lot like dating, right? You kind of got to test the waters and see what's going on and see who you mesh with and who you can communicate well with and effectively with, or else you're not going to find the right person. I mean, if you stick with the person that you're just not really jiving with, move on to the next one. Yes. Yeah. I always tell my clients that in the very first session, if you don't, I'm going to leave this, you know, ball in your court. Um, if you feel like we connected well, like send me a message and we will, you know, book a session, but I want to leave that in the privacy of you and your partner to talk about, or you to talk about, or to think about on your own. There's no pressure to like me. And I always say, if we're not, if you don't like me, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I have a list of other clinicians that I would love to pass you on to. So just let me know. And that's, that's very, very important. And I just said it on another podcast, but I like to think that I specialize in crusty, crunchy men who hate therapy. And that is my jam. And I will, it'll probably always be my jam. I just, I really like those husbands and men that are like, what the heck is therapy? They're my favorite. I have a dark sense of humor and I like to use it in sessions. So <laughs> dark sense of humor, a uh, coping mechanism and therapy in itself, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing is like, you obviously have a very solid grasp behind the uh, first responder community. And also you have firsthand experience with what it's like to be on the other side of those boots on the black, right? Mm -hmm. You've experienced this, you know what to look for. And yeah, it's, you got the recipe. So where can we find you with that being said? Yeah. So, um, uh, my Instagram is on underscore being underscore resilient. And, um, my email is destiny Morris, uh, my first and last name therapy at gmail.com. Um, and then also if I'm not your cup of tea, which is totally fine there on my Instagram, I have a highlight circle that says, I think it says therapist or therapy. If you click on that, there is a list of first responder counselors in every single state. So that's another thing. I've gotten a lot of messages from people that are in different states that want to see me. I can only see you if you're in the state of California, but there is a lovely list on my Instagram of other clinicians that specialize in first responders in every single state. That culturally competent clinician thing is a rising subject that I'm a huge fan of. And I think it's a very necessary thing because the last thing that uh, the salty, crusty uh, firefighter or cop or military or whatever first responder, someone in the 
civil service kind of realm wants to talk to is Joe Blow dickhead that's therapist McTherapist has no idea because you and I know that first responders, military, the people that keep you safe at night kind of communities, they're very xenophobic and they don't like outsiders. So thank you for that. That is fucking rad. Yeah. Thank you. I'm in that bubble. So if you're looking at it, you've been thinking about it. This is a safe place. Um, come sit with me. It's not as scary as it seems. I promise. It's not. There'd be some anxiety, but it, that's it's normal. not that bad. That's normal. Yeah, I'm a comfy, normal human being. So, <laughs> well, with that being said, I always at the end of, at the end of the episode, I always like to give an opportunity for you to give out some shout outs to some homies, heroes, mentors. Who do you got for us? My homies are the Overwatch Collective. They are a nonprofit that raises money for first responders and military families and personnel that um, need help financially with therapy. And so they have actually funded cops, um, firefighters and fire wives to come and see me in therapy. Um, and they just raised a ton of money at a fundraiser. So if you are looking into therapy and cost is an issue, reach out to the Overwatch Collective because they do um, case by case financial assistance for therapy. Hell yeah. Well, Destiny, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, hopefully this will... Uh, get some people pointed in the right direction to uh, healing their relationships and also spicing it up in the bedroom. And before we go, I do want to mention a great book that is a very low key entry into sprucing it up. And now full disclaimer, I am not getting paid by these people. I just got this book as a gift, my wife and I, and it's called the adventure challenge in bed. I'm using uh, air quotes here. And if you want a non kinky, like not like straight to zero to bondage kind of way of spicing things up in the bedroom with your partner, um, more tame, but still equally as fun. Uh, go check out the adventure challenge in bed edition. And there's also a ton of other books that they make too. One, they make ones for like, you know, having, going out for dates with your friends, like couples dates they make stuff for, I don't know, family kind of oriented stuff. They got a, a huge variety out there, but the adventure challenge in bed, I highly recommend it. It's a scratch off book with activities. Oh. It's great. How fun. Can I recommend a book? Real Absolutely. Quick? Um, this book may be maybe more for um, women who are wanting to learn more about their body and maybe men that are wanting to know more about, Women, um, it's called Come As You Are, and it's by Emily Nagoski. Um, amazing book, and there's pictures in it. So, just saying. Oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, because firefighters can't read, you know. Yeah, there's pictures for firefighters. <laughs> there's pictures so. for the uh, the firefighters out there who can't read and prefer <laughs> the caveman approach. So, <laughs> well, Destiny, thank you so much for being on the show, and hopefully, everybody out there listening to this uh, learns a few tips and tricks and learns especially about communication and knowing their bodies. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Right on everybody. Take care. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Destiny Morris. Destiny, thank you so much for being on the show and talking about, uh, openly about sex. Yeah. 
not a lot of people do that. I mean, it's a kind of we're kind of a culture that seems very uh, repressed in that uh, context. But uh, I appreciate the courage and the willingness to talk about such a taboo subject to a global audience. It's freaking awesome. So Destin here, she is a associate family and marital uh, therapist, and she specializes in first responder counseling. So uh, yeah, if you have any questions for her or if you're uh, in the state of California and you'd like to uh, check out her practice and what she offers, definitely hit her up. She's uh, on the old Instagram. Uh, on on underscore being underscore resilient and she's been on a lot of podcasts lately and she does some awesome work so once again destiny thank you so much for coming by appreciate it as for the rest of you hope everybody's doing well like i said hope you have a plan if you happen to be in reno for october 29th well come on over to the hidden valley hammer it's going to be a freaking awesome event special shout out to our sponsors we've got mystery ranch built for the mission they make obviously the best damn fire packs in the game. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. We've got Hotshot Brewing. Yeah. Kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause. A portion of the proceeds always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. We've got the ass movements, the ass movement where uh, listeners to this episode or this podcast in general can get 10% off their entire order site-wide over at www.thefirewild.com. Go over there and check it out. And that code is going to be anchor point ass 10. And then last but not least, we've got the AWE. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. And if you uh, want to check it out, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org. It's awesome. Y'all know the drill. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace. <laughs>